You're listening to the Coach and Joe podcast, conversations on friendship with God. Well, welcome to the Coach and Joe podcast. Uh, this is Blake Berg. Today I'm filling in for Joe. And as always, we have Coach with us. And also Preacher Norris, my uh, gray and black, what is it, schnoodle. Schnauzer Poodle, his, you can hear his jingling today. He's helping Chris King on the podcast. <laughs> well, I want to jump in today. Um, I've been thinking about the life of David lately, uh, thinking about him as king. He is a man after God's own heart. Uh, he brushed off Eliab, took five stones, took down Goliath, uh, incredible man, brought Mephibosheth out of Lodibar, uh, there's a lot of truths that we've grabbed onto that we recognize in the life of David. Uh, but one thing that we don't really ever grab onto that we know about him, we know to be true, but it's not what we remember him as, is that he was uh, also a murdering adulterer. And so I just think it's very odd that we, when we look at David, um, there are things about him that are true that weren't truth, Um but we don't remember him as the bad things. We remember him as being a man after God's own heart. Uh, and while there are things in my own life, I'm not a murdering adulterer, but there are certainly things that I remember myself for that aren't necessarily being after God's own heart. Uh, I don't know what other people remember me for. Um, but it's got me really thinking, what are the things in my life? How do I need to be living my life? So that at the end of it, I could be someone that's remembered as being a man after God's own heart, not a man that was opposed to what God's heart was. He definitely is a fascinating figure. Uh, I think he has more airtime in the Bible than any figure. Yeah. Wrote most of the Psalms. Uh, When I think of David, I think of someone completely vulnerable, Connected to his own heart and broken, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. By the way, we were talking about this earlier, of how he, he, he's not really remembered for his horrific sins. No, and they weren't, and they weren't like little. They weren't entryway sins. He killed another woman's yeah. husband, and then took her. Yeah, he didn't take a pack of gum from the gas station. He didn't tell a white lie. What do you do with that? I don't know, it was murder and adultery, and those are big ones. Why is he not remembered for that more than anything? I don't know. Let me ask you this, because there's something on this. Why why is Saul seen as evil Saul when he was 95% obedient to what the father wanted him to do? And David, I mean, come on. Why do we look at Saul the way we do and we look at David the way we do? Why, how about this? Not we. Why do you? What is it about you? Because you're driving the content of this podcast. This mm-hmm. thing was on you. What? Why you look at David one way and Saul another? I think it, I think it boils down to. I mean, when it says that he was a man after God's own heart, that there is a heart issue at work in Saul, and there wasn't that same heart issue at work in David. There was a. There's a flesh issue and a mind issue in David that took over temporarily, and then his heart realized it, and his heart was a driving force for repentance and for change and for transformation. 
Um, where I think in Saul, we don't see, we don't see that heart change. I wonder how long you've been married to Kim. Mm, almost 10 years. Well, no, this is going to be 10 years this September. Kim, he really paused on that. He, he, he had to think that through. I know the date. It was September 27th. I just don't remember years. You know how, when, when two people are in love, two people love each other. Um, you can go through dry seasons. But then there are seasons to where, specifically when you first start dating, it's just so natural. It's borderline, the word would be obsession. Mm-hmm. There seems to me there's a part of the father, he's just not a big fan of uh, any form of apathy or lukewarmness. You look at Jesus. If if if, if Jesus is our portrait into the Father, Jesus in Luke nine twenty three. Here's all you have to do to be his disciple. You ready? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and die. <laughs> there's something. There's something that God valued about David: the fact that he was all in. Hey, I got to tell you this. I haven't. Been, I haven't. I don't think I've told anybody this, but uh, four weeks ago, ish. Uh, I had a conversation with Jesus Christ in my sleep. I heard him so I couldn't I couldn't wake up, but I was fully awake. It's weird. And I don't understand the whole sleep thing. It's like Adam Key says, "What happens? Where do we go?" He disappear right. for eight hours. I'm having a conversation with Jesus. I heard his voice so clearly, but I couldn't make myself wake up. And he said, "Chad, many people who believe they are regenerated or not." And 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 I, I could talk to him. My spirit man was talking to him, and we had this conversation. I think I think a lot of people who think they're born again are not. If if the if the the narrative of the word is God connected to his people Israel, here's what he hated. He hated rebellious Israel when they did that. He he when they went a whoring, if you will. What if what if God's picture of salvation is not just me believing in Jesus that he went to the cross, but what if it's a real relationship? I think a lot of people have been painting a picture in the West that all you have to do is believe that a man died on a cross. Yeah, I agree with that, and then I'll spend forever in heaven. Where is that in the Word? I mean, right. We're supposed what, to work out our salvation. With fear and trembling. Yeah. It, I don't think it's normal for any of God's kids to have a relationship with Him that's apathetic. It, it, I can't even... I have no biblical paradigm for it. Right? Right. And then people who have been hurt by religion that are like, oh God, I hate this conversation. But the truth is... The, the question is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Well, what does that mean? Am I intimately connected to him, dead to myself, and 24-7 with everything in my life, putting him at the forefront of my mind, my thoughts, my actions? I think this is what God liked about David. Yeah, You know, David's broken and he's flawed, but holy smokes, man, this guy, he was all in. Even when Nathan confronted him, do you realize his brokenness was over his sin between him and the Father? You remember that? Mm-hmm. This is a great conversation because it may, it forces the mirror in front of my own face. Yeah. I think uh, in Galatians 5, 16, Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think actually, uh, like, fleshly sins are actually really easy to take care of, and it's simply by walking in the Spirit. I found in my own life, um, if I'm choosing to not walk in the Spirit, all of a sudden, sins of the flesh... 
temptations, things start to creep into my life and can easily take over. Uh, but the more I'm occupying my mind, the more I'm putting my energy into actually what it looks like to walk with the Spirit, spend that time with Him, pursue friendship, all of a sudden I find that not only uh, am I not gratifying desires of the flesh, like they're not even desires anymore. They're not even things that I think about. They don't cross my mind. And I think that's what... Um, Man, that's what we start to see in David is that there's a difference between sins of the flesh and sins of the heart, and where uh, it's a it's a simpler thing maybe for him to overcome what a sin of the flesh is, make a turn from that for the better. But the sin of the heart, the sins that we see in Saul's life, those are things that you don't just quickly overcome. And clearly, as evident by us today, they're not things that are easily forgiven by people around you as how we see David today versus how we view Saul. You, you make you me think of something interesting. Sin management, apart from intimacy with the Father, might be an indication that I'm not born again. Yeah. If this thing is about the heart, remember when David said, search me and know my heart, see if there's any offensive way in me. My wife's been praying a prayer recently that's awful and wonderful. Expose the truth. Shine your light on me. Shine your light. Expose the truth. Shine your light. Expose the truth. Perhaps a practical step in this conversation is if I am a person who is not consistently saying, Father, search my heart. It may just be a form, another form of religion to where I'm trying to clean the, the grave clothes, if you will, like I look good on the outside. This whole thing is about the heart. When David is confronted with... And let's be honest, we're not talking about a porn addiction here. Mm-hmm. He killed. I can't remember. I can't even remember um, Bathsheba's husband's name. Do you remember? I don't. He Uriah. 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 I about said Larry. He killed Uriah, and we were talking about. Imagine, blood. You're on the staff that I lead. Imagine me now having to go before the elders. All right, guys, I got a new one for you. Blake's no longer <laughs> going to be be able to be here, and uh, it was an embezzlement. This is this is an all timer. He killed. He had a husband killed. Took the wife. <laughs> but yet, when Nathan confronts him, the first thing David does, it, it he hates the fact that something is wrong between him and Jehovah. That's where I want to live, man. I think sin management outside of intimacy with God is just trying to behave your way into relationship. And, and you, you, you touched on that Sunday. You preached yeah, you preached Sunday at Bridgeway. Go to, go to that. You talked about uh, Sunday obedience. Uh, obedience, to- obedience is a fruit of a right relationship. And so I can't behave my way into intimacy, but out of intimacy I can have right behavior. And so when I really know the Father, when I'm really going after Him and I'm getting my identity, who I am, from what He says over me directly, from a position that's right up under Him, all of a sudden I don't have to think about my actions as much. I don't have to think about what I'm doing because all I'm doing is just living a life consistent with who the Father says that I am. And that's really easy to do because I I can be me anytime. I'm always me. The question is, am I me from a position removed from the Father or am I being me from a position that's right up under his arm, sitting in his lap with my head on his chest? All right, now I want to be careful with this because I don't want to lead anybody down the wrong path, but C.S. Lewis says the sins of the flesh are lesser than. Mm -hmm. 
I think he's getting at what we're talking about here. Yeah. Why is Saul's sin seen as so horrific in the eyes of God? It's laced with disobedience. It's laced with arrogance, pride. It's laced with what Lucifer had. Lucifer basically didn't take God very seriously. God hates being mocked. Now, do I think it's wise to walk in sins of the flesh? No. Please let me say that very clearly. I hate the sins of the flesh. But I'm just saying, from the word, it seems that there's more grace on David than Saul. Would you agree? Yes. And by the way, uh, David's sin still cost still cost that child his life. Yeah. And David's career is never the same after that sin. Right. Don't forget that. If you study, if you study post Bathsheba, it doesn't go the same. And I think even Solomon dealt with. Father's even showing me that right now. There's a lot of, a lot of David's sin in Solomon. So there are consequences to sins of the flesh. Right. But what we're simply saying is there is a reason me and you are sitting here and we talk about David in one tongue, we talk about Saul in another tongue. If you guys don't know the story of Saul, Saul was a king anointed by God. Uh, God never wanted Israel to have a king, but they kept begging him and he he gave he gave Israel what they wanted, which by the way, if God says no and you keep begging him, you you may not want what he gives you. And and Saul becomes king and he starts off okay he's anointed and then it just goes south or disobedience disobedience samuel finally comes and says he would have established your throne over israel forever for samuel 13 13 but you did not obey the voice of god and uh saul became tortured he became um he was really self-focused well you look at david and yeah we know the bathsheba story and the murder but the man was a walking billboard of humility mm-hmm. again for the third time even when nathan confronts him he's like what have i done Seem, here's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. The chief sin of all is pride. And humility is saying, God, search my heart. Even when yeah. I mess up and I blow it, hopefully not on the level of murder and adultery, for heaven's sakes. But I want to stay in this constant state that David stayed in. That's humility. Yeah. So here we go once again for the millionth time, the conversation of pride versus humility. Why do you think C.S. Lewis says pride is the chief of them all? So I think that pride uh, is an indicator of who you have at the center of your life and who your idol is. You'll make an idol out of anything if you don't have the Father at the center of your life. And I think uh, when you have the Father in the center of your life, there's no room for pride. There's only room for humility in that. Um, But if the Father's not in the center of your life, all of a sudden everything else is going to start creeping in. Anything is going to take that spot. It could be my job. It could be being the first king of Israel. It could be my position at work, my position in my family, the role I play with my friends. Um. But God is a jealous God, and he's jealous for me. And what he wants is to be at the center of that. And that's one thing that he can't he can't stand, is to not be at the center of it. And so f- sins of the flesh, while those put Jesus on the cross just as much as anything else can, sins of the flesh aren't ne- necessarily evident that God's not at the center. It's evident that I've maybe been distracted. Um from what I'm chasing after and what's at the center of my life. But it's a darker place to not have God at the center. Have myself at the center. I had a guy recently come to the altar. I got a word of knowledge that he was struggling with porn. It was interesting what the father had me tell him. The father saw this guy as so pure and so hungry. This guy was so broken over his own sin. And I said, you need to understand something. The fact that you are this broken 
is evidence and proof that he's the number one priority in your life. Mm. And we'll just say, we'll just call him John Doe. I said, John Doe, forgiveness is real. Grace is real. Now let me flip this conversation. Let me tell you the worst place you can be. Yeah. Someone came to the altar recently. You know, Father shows me stuff because of the position I have at the church as the father of this house. You'd be better off having any sin in your life than just indifference, ap- apathy, and even offense at God. <laughs> don't go there. Uh, don't it, it? You see, this is Saul and David, practically speaking. Yeah. When you become indifferent, apathetic, or even ticked off at God, you can bend over, put your head between your legs, and kiss your butt goodbye because you are in launching mode of destruction. But even if you're if if you're struggling with sin right now, as long as your heart is staying tender and pure and hungry and you're broken, the the Lord draws close to the brokenhearted. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we we associate proximity with God with either success or failure in relationship with Him. Um and clearly our, our sin pushes God away from us. And so if we're living in a sin, whether it's flesh, whatever it is, those are things that give us distance. Um, But I think what God most cares about is what you're getting at is which direction are you going? Are you actively moving toward him or are you moving away from him? And you can be really close to him, but moving away. And that's a terrible place to be, but you could be far away from him and running toward him. And that's actually like he's waiting for you to get there. I'm not so sure. Tell me if you've ever thought about this. I'm not so sure that's not going to be our reality in heaven. Yeah. A lot of people think you get to heaven. That's it. Good job. 82 years on the earth. You've arrived. You know God completely now. I don't think so. I think we get to heaven and we're still on a journey to get to know him for all time because you can't even get to the beginning of him, much less end of him. Yeah. I think that uh, as we close this podcast, I think there's another correlation. Here's that word again of hunger and humility. You know what hunger is, sta- is stating? That, that there's a there's a large part of God that I still don't have. Mm-hmm. The moment I think I arrive, I'm in trouble. And um, and David never thought that he arrived. I, I bet you he still doesn't either. Yeah. You ever think about meeting these guys, these women in heaven one day? Be incredible. You walk up, you picture David like some... Six five rip dude, and then you remember in the scripture, wait a minute, he's the ruddy one. Yeah, it's gonna be like some short fella. I I, I get fascinated by meeting these characters one day. Matter of fact, somebody got a prophetic word for me at Bridgeway Youth Camp the other night about that one day. I can't wait to to join the great cloud of witnesses. But you know what? As long as we're here, why don't we just learn from their lives? Stay low, stay hungry, stay broken for His grace. Rest on my weakness. In the name of Jesus, may you never get to a place where you're not hungry and humble before him. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Coach and Joe. For more information and additional content, please visit bridgewaynetwork.org.